0: Okay, so next we have um, Megan Muncie um, talking to us. Um, Megan is a stem cell biologist in the Department of Anatomy and Neuroscience at the University of Melbourne, where she heads, both the, heads the education, ethics, law and community awareness unit at the Australian Research Council funded Cells Australia initiative. So, Megan has contributed to policy in both Australia and abroad regarding the use of stem cells in laboratory and clinical settings. Uh, During her PhD, she demonstrated stem cells could be made from um, cloned mouse embryos and this was the first proof of concept for therapeutic cloning. That's what I found very interesting in your bio, sorry. (laughs) I am Um, a clone warrior, actually. (laughs) So today she'll discuss the business of selling stem cells and the need for regulation in this area. Thank you. So uh, what I want to do is, is really highlight perhaps an extreme example that touches on many of the issues that were raised this morning and um, I think it's particularly uh, fascinating and it's work that I'm also doing with Cameron Stewart and colleagues in an ARC linkage grant looking at a uh, a bioethical and regulatory framework that might contain what we see as a flourishing and thriving and disturbing sector. So, you know, why? Why is stem cells big business? I'm going to focus on Australia, but of course stem cells, I can hear this lot of terrible feedback. What's down here before? ste um, the selling stem cells is big business globally. And I can perhaps touch on that um, in the um, in the panel discussion. But I want to concentrate on Australia because I was quite shocked having worked and taken a very active position in kind of arguing for regulatory oversight in this area. I was horrified when I had my first patient inquiry five, six years ago from someone who was being sold treatment or concerned about their wife being sold treatment by a cosmetic surgeon. So, So how can this happen? Well, stem cells are hot. Look at the headlines. Um, They can do anything according to popular mythology. So back to perceptions, and it was raised earlier. And um, there is a grain of truth in many of these articles. As a scientist, I can make stem cells grow into heart muscle in a dish. I can um, uh, model a, a human brain in a dish not me anymore probably, but colleagues can. Um, So we can use stem cells to help understand Alzheimer's, but we are not able to treat someone with stem cells for these conditions. There is an approved product using stem cells on the market in Europe for a particular type of blindness, but that product is not applicable for all forms of blindness. So not only are there many types of stem cells each application really needs a sophisticated strategy, preparation and plan associated with its evaluation and its delivery. I wanted to particularly draw your attention to this little headline up here in the top, top right. Um, this was an article that was published in the Herald Sun a year ago, almost a year ago, that I, is still causing me havoc. So from this article, now this article was about a clinical trial, which is good, that's what we want to see. We want to see these stem cell approaches being explored in clinical trials. But this was an early phase clinical trial where they were really looking to, to evaluate whether the treatment had safety was safe in a, in a couple of dozen patients. It made huge media in Melbourne and around Australia, and I'm still getting inquiries from people who want to have access to this treatment. They didn't necessarily see it as part of a clinical trial, they heard stem cells treatment put the two together. And that's very dangerous when you start Googling. If you Google like I have here, stem cells for knee repair, associate, you know, obviously, Stem Cells Australia comes up in the information we provide down the bottom, but up the top are ads. And you may not be able to read it, but the bottom ad here says, you've heard of stem cells, experience for, for arthritis. The one and only insured stem cell product guaranteed for your safety. 99.9% success free consultation. Now, that is a group operating off the freeway on the way to the Gold Coast and have been doing so for years despite me complaining and others to various authorities that may be in this room. Um, <laughs> and, but, and, and this is my frustration, is that the complaint system, the whack-a-mole system, doesn't work. We as a group of scientists have, have recognized that this is an area you know, primed for exploitation and it needs a, a, a better framework than what we currently have. But anyway, I, 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 I jump ahead. So we're seeing a lot of adver- advertising in um, newspapers, on the web, on television, on radio, direct to consumer. These treatments are not what James was talking about, or these interventions are not what James was talking about in the first presentation, where he's testing an approach in a clinical trial that's ethics approved and registered. This is happening way outside that framework. The doctors are just getting in there and doing it. They are self-proclaimed experts. They see themselves as stem cell specialists, which of course does not exist as a specialty. Um, They also market this treatment as an innovation. And they're not scared to use experimental in their marketing as well. In fact, I think they feel like they're disclosing by saying it's experimental, but we'll still have a go and we'll, pay, we'll charge you for it. And the fee is in the order of six dollars to $10,000, with multiple... Um, uh, if it doesn't work the first time, come back. You know, multiple times you might require this treatment. The guys down at Logan, they charge wealthy Asians hundred grand. Um, and some derivation thereof for Australians. So they use the patient's own cells, and that's the key aspect to this, what we consider to be a regulatory loophole. So another couple of screen grabs um, here from one clinic in Melbourne that has a helpful reference with Google Maps about where they they uh, provide their treatments. <clears throat> My point here is that th- this is a growing industry. There was. There were two doctors who were using so-called autologous stem cell therapies in 2011. Um, we did an audit in 2014 and there were 14 clinics. Uh, we're currently looking at this area as part of our grant, and we've identified over 50 clinics. It's not going away, it's growing. The, tr- the, the bulk from our 2014 audit, and, and this is data from our. we haven't published it from our current audit the bulk of the clinics are operating in this musculoskeletal arthritis joint space. But there are, and and that's where the cells are injected, usually from liposuction, so crude cell extract, injected into the joint, same day procedure, not in an accredited laboratory, just in the back room, usually. Um, those, (laughs) Those same cells are sometimes, depending on the clinic's particular interest, used to treat dementia, To treat infertility and to also perhaps restore follicular growth uh, for those who are bald. Um, So, a wide range of applications, usually for the same price tag. I just wanted to quickly share some findings from another study um, that's disturbing that um, (laughs) we did where we interviewed six, six doctors. And what I think is really interesting is that they felt extremely justified in providing these treatments. There was a, they saw there was a huge unmet demand um, that patients were wanting this treatment. They could help. They had either done a three-day work, uh, workshop in uh, Bangkok and they were therefore trained um, or licensed in this expensive technology. And they need, and they also felt like the science. There was enough known. You, know, you people in the lab, you're just wasting time. We need to get out there and get in, onto onto helping people. They were, they were concerned about regulation, but really in the context of what that other guy's doing. What I'm doing, it's all ethical. I'm all about the science. The other guy, he's about the money. <clears throat> and they also had hopes to establish an industry here in Australia, often with parallels drawn to the IVF uh, sector, that this is the next big thing, and they wanted to get in on the ground floor. So how can this happen? Well, we have... Um, uh, an exclusion, really, um, under the New biologicals Framework, where any autologous cells, so cells taken from the patient or tissues, <coughs> provided they're taken by that medical practitioner for that patient's use, they are not within the remit of the TGA. So they're a medical procedure. This is striking because it means that uh, there's such a broad exclusion that it, no matter how the cells are prepared <coughs> or how they're used, There's no oversight for the TGA, who I would argue are the authority that would have an ability to assess what the true risks are in these biologicals, as was envisaged in the original biologicals framework. Um, So it ignores potential harm, and I think it contributes enormously to this sense of legitimacy from the the providers. We've been arguing, as I've indicated, in a frustrated context for five to six years <coughs> about the regulatory ambiguity that this has uh, uh, enabled. Um, there's been two public consultations by the TGA. We, we and many colleagues have been arguing for a, a ban on direct-to-consumer advertising, making legislation consistent, basically saying that there's no um, exclusion around autologous, it needs to be commensurate, risk, the risk uh, assessment needs to be commensurate with how the cells are handled. Just because they're from you doesn't mat- automatically make them safe. We also um, have been working uh, with, uh, with many groups around setting professional standards, and um, several international bodies have put out really well thought out guidelines. But I wanted to draw your attention to the role of a college. Now, this was brought up in the panel discussion earlier today. Colleges do have a role. And I think it was very brave of the Australasian College of Sports and Exercise Physicians, given that uh, many of their members are are active in this area. They put out a position statement um, that was published last year, where they make a strong delineation between um, innovation, clinical research, and commercial practice, which they think should be banned. They subsequently updated this position statement and did put a big strike through medical innovation because they felt like it was being exploited. So I think more colleges could take a stance, and this would be extremely helpful to chew away at this question of legitimacy, to draw a boundary between what is acceptable and what is not. Um, At the moment, Oh, and then I just wanted to, to say, and I'm sure Cam will talk about this a bit more, but of course what we want to do in our, in our project is to look at a, a new framework for looking at this, encapsulating some of these perhaps disparate um, uh, current regulations and consumer protections into a framework that might help this space, looking at evidence, credentials, consent process, and um, perhaps exploring further this idea of of self-regulation or establishing a registry that's, that's currently being mooted. I think the final thing to mention around this is the financial implication here. You notice that that clinic does have insurance that is true. They have, a, well, at least they've got a, a certificate on their website. So, what is the role of the insurer here? And the complaint process at the moment is flawed. So, the final point I wanted to make was that at what cost failure to act? There's only a handful of doctors, only a handful of patients. One's died. Is one enough? <coughs> Do we need more? This woman is uh, Sheila Drysdale. She had advanced dementia, she had stem cell treatment. She didn't have uh, a complication which is often thought of associated with stem cell treatment, which would be perhaps aberrant growth in the cells, you know, causing a tumour and killing her that way. She bled to death following liposuction. Same day procedure. Doctor had never seen her before. Her husband petitioned the doctor and gave consent. Having had successful treatment for his knees earlier, having heard an ad on the radio, So as the coroner's report in this case, that happened through her death happened three years ago, was recently published, as he says, there's a cluster of errors. There were many opportunities to intervene and we failed. So what more can be done? I think a lot more can be done. Hopefully our work will contribute to that. Um, Whack-a-mole complaint system doesn't work. I don't have time to talk about it, but I'd love to share some feedback I've had from the community around their frustrations when they do make a complaint. So I'll just finish there and just a quick acknowledgement of some of my colleagues who've worked on on some of this work with me. Thank you.